This episode of the Coin World Podcast is sponsored by Amos Advantage. Starting on Wednesday, May 26th, take advantage of exclusive coin supply deals as part of our Memorial Day sale. This is a limited time sale, good through June 1st. Head to AmosAdvantage.com and don't miss out on these Memorial Day savings. Would you like to sponsor the Coin World Podcast? If so, contact your Coin World sales representative or email Brian Hertel at B H E R T E L at AmosMedia.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Affordable rates and multi-episode discounts are available. Contact us today to sponsor the Coin World Podcast. Welcome to the Coin World Podcast with your host, Jeff Stark. As I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks. And Larry Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Coin World Podcast. I'm Jeff Stark. And I'm Larry Jewett. And there is no error in that statement, right? And that's where the errors are probably stopped. I'm not going to guarantee that there's not going to be one soon. We are going to take a deep look at errors in just a little bit. We are so delighted that author Joe Cronin and collector expert extraordinaire joined us for a very informative, very fun interview to talk about his book, Mint Errors to Die For. You'll hear me give it all sorts of glowing praise uh, in just a minute, but I only amplify and echo that. It's a great book uh, for somebody like myself who is not mechanically minded necessarily, and really, I pretend to know about coins Certainly on that side of thing, that's outside of my wheelhouse. I love the history and the story. Joe brings you all the fascinating details of what things are errors and what are not errors. And that is so important in today's age when we see so many, you know, would-be collectors and, you know, armchair quarterbacks and all that who post photos of, oh, this is an error, this is double die, and we'll know it's machine doubling, and or, you know, they're, they're offering stuff on Etsy and eBay and other platforms that are just, they're not legitimate, they're not real, and, you know, I'd like to think that most of the folks doing that uh, do it out of ignorance and not out of ill will, but regardless, you know, as, as collectors, we have to be sure to protect ourselves and know what we're buying. It's sad to hear stories of, of when people got ripped off. So this is such a great book, such a helpful book. And that's why we took the time to uh, interview him. Yes, and totally. I mean, the, the whole idea, the whole purpose behind the book is to educate. And uh, Joe, being an educator and understands the need for that, it's just a not great opportunity to inform yourself. I mean, it's incumbent upon the collector to take up the mantle of the education to avoid situations that may be uh, intended to be harmful to them or, or anything like that. And that's why we have the book and have the author, because it's our purpose as well on this podcast to educate. And that's what we try to do as well. Thanks to the folks at Amos Advantage for helping us here. But I've got to take this time right now and and point out uh, my special thanks to Brian Clark. Now, Brian is uh, also the one who has a, uh, a a Facebook page for new collectors who could benefit from the information we're about to give a little bit later on. But Brian made an offer to me, and he had me thinking about that. You can't things. refuse. Yeah, I can refuse, and I just have to think about it before I make my final determination. 
And that is Brian has been listening to us and knew my plight regarding the Florida quarters. And he had a couple that he was willing to part with. And I thought, well, that's a generous offer. And I appreciate that. Then I got to questioning why I was even collecting these quarters to begin with. Started on this trail about a year ago. Now, is it to build a complete collection, which is a noble purpose, or is it the thrill of the hunt, which is has been exciting throughout the last, I mean, the, uh, the idea of getting these quarters and getting change and getting them from different places and telling people about it and all that stuff. So I haven't made a decision whether I'm going to take up Brian on his generous offer, and I do appreciate his support, his offer, his webpage, everything like that. That's not him right now, but we'll get rid of whoever this is. There they go. They're gone. And, uh, you know, it's just it's great to have, but that comes down to the education thing, educating yourself as to why you do what you do. And so now I'm questioning why I'm doing it. I'm not questioning that I am doing it. I'm questioning what the why is on this. It's like the actor who, who has the role. What's my motivation here? Anyway, that, that was funnier in my head than it turned out to be. But hey, that's the story of my life. <laughs> that so see right there the the thought that you said in your mind, your mind decided to open up your mouth and allow you to say that, just goes to show that errors do occur. They they absolutely do, and we'll explore all sorts of minting errors uh, oh, in just a oh, minute. Okay. All right. In the meantime, let's let's take a look back at some uh, numismatic history. We always love to get a sense of what was happening in the hobby back in the day, and what. Uh, and there I go again. I use the word hobby. Sorry, Harlan, if you're listening, but um, <laughs> you pointed this out to me, and so I thank you for that. And it has, I guess, a little bit of special meaning because this uh, has a tie to St. Louis. But we go to May twenty fifth, nineteen eleven. So literally 110 years ago. Uh, what happened 110 years ago? Well, that was when author, expert, extraordinaire, Eric P. Newman was born. And Newman is inextricably forever linked to St. Louis uh, here where I sit. And uh, I had the pleasure of actually meeting him when his museum opened in 2007. And um, what a mind, what a what a collector, and certainly he was enabled by the family fortune in, in that pursuit. But even if he had not been, the desire for knowledge, the desire for information, he um, built a career out of that, if you will, in coins. And there's a book out there. I own, I haven't read it yet, but it's called The Truth Seeker. And uh, I believe it was co-written by Len Augsburger and um, Joel Oros, who I think we've both had both of them on the podcast now. And certainly, if not, we should have them on and could have them on again to talk about Newman or any other subject. They're knowledgeable about many aspects. But Newman is a name that matters here in St. Louis because of his, uh, the family's philanthropy. But in the hobby, you know, it does not get any more august uh, in the 20th century than Eric Newman. And then maybe a close second, I would say, is Q. David Bowers. You might throw... Uh, Walter Breen up there, despite the horrible things in his background. If we're looking at just a numismatic Mount Rushmore from the 20th century, you might put B. Max Mel up there for the 
you know, impresario, the the promotion of the hobby, the 1913 nickel selling his star rare coin encyclopedia, many copies advertised in so many publications in the 1920s and 30s, certainly the 30s giving hope to a depression era nation ravaged by economic woes and not only the great depression but the dust bowl and economic anxiety and mobility you know the, there was a mass migration both out west and i think there was some of the migration from the south to the north and there were just so many things happening in that decade and mel was uh, really for 25 30 years at the center of a lot of the hobby so if i were to have a Again, numismatic Mount Rushmore. I think those are four very valid names. Although, you know, I would want to have the chance to reconsider Breen and and maybe put somebody else in in that place. But uh, but anyway, you know, Newman was was a, a mind for knowledge and a mind for very much seeking the truth. You know, with the whole Ford gold ingot story. You know, he wanted to know you know, is this authentic? Is it not? And if it's not, then it shouldn't be uh, promoted and sold as such. So a man of ethics and and vision, certainly, if you look at his collection and what uh, has been done now because of the sale of his collection through the Newman numismatic portal. A long journey there to say that happy birthday, 110th birthday to Eric P. Newman, author of, among other things, Early Paper Money of America. And the impact that he's had on the and continues to have after his passing is just uh, it's remarkable. As we talked earlier about education, it's through the work and through the endeavor that he made and the continuation of the Newman Numismatic Portal that allows us to uh, embrace this hobby and expand our own educational values by understanding the importance of what has happened and the relevance it has to what is going to happen. I share your view that um, Mr. Newman has a place of high esteem in this uh, hobby. We just finished up with our uh, most influential and unfortunately he could not be included because of his passing, but certainly if we ever get down to most influential of all time, then there's no question here who's on page one. No yeah, doubt. Absolutely. absolutely. So, you know, speaking of page one, let's go to the page one of a back issue of Coin World. We're going to jump to 1979, which the reason we did that is because one of the featured coins on Mint Errors to Die For, it's the Susan B. Anthony dollar. And of course, that came out in 1979. You know what also came out in 1979? Let's see. That would have been... um, Let me think about that. Um, I'm going to say... 1979. That sounds about when you were born. That's right. right. I, I, oh! I, actually, I, I was born uh, the day the A&A show opened here in St. Louis. I was born some 15 miles west. <laughs> but oh, okay. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that's a nice little bit of trivia. We'll get to that. different trivia later but um anyway so we go to the may 30th 1979 issue and what uh, was on the cover lo and behold we are the big news was susan b anthony dollar and it was kind of a big deal i didn't know this until reading this because you know i hadn't been born yet i that was a couple months later but someone is leaking the new susan b anthony dollar coins 
and Chairman Frank Annunzio of the House Consumer Affairs Subcommittee once the practice stopped, is how the story opens. Although the coins are not scheduled to be released to the public until July 2nd, 1979, Annunzio notes that many of the coins have already found their way into the hands of coin dealers. In my best Ed McMahon, Johnny Carson voice, I did not know that, I did not know that, uh, it was, and that was a horrible voice, but you know, it is what it is. You get what you pay for here. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> until I saw this story, until, you know, okay, let's look at the, this week in Coin World History, I didn't know that. I, you know, all the coverage of, of the dollar and how, how many were issued that first year and how mintage dropped off quickly and people didn't like it because of the size and the color and the person on it and whatever, all the controversy surrounding it, if you can call it that somehow didn't realize that examples of the coin escaped early. And, you know, at the time there was, uh, you know, a March 31 statement from the U S treasury said that 71.8 million of the coins had been shipped and held by the fed for future release. So, okay, you go, well, then it makes sense that a couple of these have come out. But the story goes on to relent that the U.S. Mint put out 10,000 of them to 20 coin manufacturers for testing purposes. Uh, 9,000 of them went to 120 banks in Michigan alone. So these things slipped out. And, you know, there's a lot of in the stamp side of things, there's a thing that's known as EKU, earliest known usage. And that's, hey, this stamp has got a release date of whatever, but the earliest known usage of it on cover, on an envelope, or on a, you know, on a mail piece is this date, and somehow it was released early. You know, of course, you can track that when you have a postmark. It's much harder to do when you're talking about a coin where there's no born-on date, if you will, when it when it's issued for commerce. So, you know, that's interesting to read this story and to delve into this and find out, yeah, there, this was a, I wouldn't call it a problem because, you know, it was really an opportunity. The fact that the coins were out there and people were finding them, it got them talking about them and all press is good press, right? <laughs> but anyway, it was a surprise to me. I love, speaking of learning, I, I love to learn this and add that little nugget of information to the broader story of the Susan B. Anthony dollar. So that was, uh, thanks, Larry, for highlighting that issue, selecting that issue, uh, because I got to learn something and, and we got to talk about it and pass it along to everyone listening wherever you are. And uh, on the letters page, there were some interesting letters as well. One of them was called Major Event Approaching and said, certainly one of the major numismatic events of 1979 will be the appearance this summer of the new Susan B. Anthony Dollar. As the letter writer continues, as far as I'm concerned, it's a welcome change to have a U.S. coin portray one of our great ladies right out of the American history books rather than sticking exclusively to Miss Liberty. Susan B. Anthony now stands in that small circle of Americans who've been honored on stamps and coins. Her portrait is shown on the three-cent dark violet stamp of 1936 issued to commemorate the 16th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment which grants American women the right to vote. Miss Anthony, 1822-1986, championed the cause for women's rights for more than 50 years and for her weekly newspaper... Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Hold on. 1820 Hold on. to 1986? 1906. She was 100... Okay, I was no, going to say she was 100... 
166 years old. Somehow I missed that. No, <laughs> no, wonder, that she, no wonder the coin the coin looks like it does. She Wait, yeah. she was alive when the coin came out. Ha ha. There you go. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, okay, well, see, there's a non-men error right there. So the letter continues. The true republic, men, their rights, and nothing more. Women, their rights, and nothing less. Down through history, hundreds of women have been portrayed on the world's coins, but most of them appear because of their royal heritage. Leonard Forer, in fact, wrote an entire book on portraits of royal ladies on Greek coins, which was originally published in 1938. Queen Victoria reigned. Okay, 1837 to 1901, Queen Victoria reigned, apparently on hundreds of varieties of coins in the British and British Empire. It's appropriate that the United States has produced a coin honoring a woman who devoted her life to strengthening democratic government. And that letter was from Louis T. DeLauro from New York City, New York. There you have it. Awesome. Awesome. How appropriate that there was an error in the letter. And we're talking about errors. But I heard that and I'm like, wait a minute, this is we're breaking news here. I, I thought I didn't know when she died, but I, I didn't think she lived that long. So very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and it's funny that, you know, here's the letter writer talking about this future release of the coin. And yet examples had had already been slipping out into commerce. So that is as good a segue as any, because you could call that an error, right? It's um, oh, yeah. it, somebody made an error by letting the coins out. Really, just um, button up, hang on tight. This was a fun interview. We uh, learned a lot. We had a lot of fun. But we'll come back in just, you know, 30, 40 minutes. And after you've learned everything Joe can tell you about from his book, and uh, we'll give you a little bit more, a little bit more taste to this numismatic buffet. But for now, here's the interview with Joe Cronin of Mint Errors to Die For. There's no error today in who we've selected for the show. Uh, we are so privileged to be speaking with Joe Cronin, who is the author of just a fantastic, a fabulous, a magnificent new book called Mint Errors to Die For. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you guys for the invite. I appreciate it. Thank you. The subtitle, if you will, of the book is A Sampling and Explanation of More Than 250 Error Coins That Escaped the U.S. Mint. The book's been out for a few months now, I think, as we uh, speak. Let me just say to the listener out there, this book is fantastic. You have to get it. 289 pages crammed full of images and information and it is something that, oh my gosh, it, the labor of love, a lifetime of work, any which way you slice this up, would it not be for Rusty Goes three-volume set on Carson City coins? I would be willing to declare this a Book of the Year winner, but uh, you know, you and Rusty could go head-to-head if you decide to enter in the Numismatic Literary Guild how did you get started on this? I mean, this is a very specialized area and it's very apparent that you know a lot about these subjects and know a lot of people that know a lot about the subjects and have been working very hard to educate yourself and now others. Sure. Yeah. Just, you know, like any kid, you know, my, uh, my dad was into something that uh, at first I wasn't really interested in, but he had a, a good understanding of history and, and we loved to go and travel places. And, uh, and in our travels, he would often stop at coin shops and flea markets and, you know, things I really didn't want to go to. And then at one point he said, I want to show you something special. And he showed me, he had some, some silver and some gold coins, which 
course, you know, perk your interest as a kid. And he was telling me who's on them and, and why they're on them and why it's important to study history and how it's, you know, a value of somebody's culture, like who they put on there. And uh, my dad especially loved, you know, John Kennedy being an Irish Catholic. He was uh, thrilled to tell me it was the first president he voted for. And he told me all about Kennedy half dollars and some of the changes that they made. And uh, I kind of took up an interest in it too. And I liked the, uh, the silver ones. And then I started going after things that have been discontinued, you know, like wheat cents and mercury dimes and stuff like that. Started reading a couple of books that were geared more towards younger readers. And I just kind of took off on my own of things that I liked. And then over time, when I got to college and I was on my own and I finally realized I couldn't be a slob anymore, I liked my room neat and organized. I started making my bed. And what I'm getting to here is it just sort of reflects in many ways who I am. Like my family and my friends joke, like when I cook and when I make things, like when I make homemade pizza, like the pepperoni is all lined up and nice and rows. And when I cut my grass, that's all lined up in nice rows. You know, I don't like pictures that are kind of off center and I kind of, you know, change them even if they're not at my house. I tend to, and, and just trying to be a perfectionist about things is really when I started noticing there were some flaws on some coins and they were damaged. And I went to a, a local dealer in the area who uh, didn't really know much about errors, but he had someone to bin and he just gave me a couple, a couple off center cents. And I kind of took off from there. I just liked things that were different and, you know, not the same cookie cutter, same date, different mint mark, but same design with very, very uh, few changes over the years. And then uh, on top of that, I started working for the U.S. Customs Service uh, in 2000 and learning about, you know, things that come into the country and how you do inspections and how you can check if something is genuine or if something altered something. And, you know, you really learn how a lot of goods that come from certain countries are flagged because there's a high potential either for things like terrorism or, you know, fraudulent merchandise or altered merchandise or stolen merchandise and just learning, you know, just all the things that we found working there, like fake Gucci purses and bags and Gucci sent people to tell you how to tell if they're real. GM, like people were faking car parts and medicines and all kinds of stuff. And it just, it kind of that fed into deadly uh, implications. My goodness. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, it just kind of fed one thing. Like I started taking an interest in like, you know, errors and flaws and how they happen and then learning how to tell if something is fake or genuine and just, you know, working in collaboration with some, uh, some people I knew at the secret service got into learning more about currency and paper bills. And they had a little presentation about coins that were counterfeited and how they made them. And it just like really in the early two thousands is really when I took a big interest to to, uh, you know, focus a little bit more on mint errors. And then within the last three years, three to four years, that's really all I do. I don't focus really on anything else. I don't complete, you know, like, like short sets of like, you know, um, wartime mercury dimes or wartime coinage. It's really now focused on errors and through my research errors and coins that were altered to look like errors or they're counterfeit or they're damaged. And that's really why I specialize in those. And that's pretty much the focus of the book. It's, you know, errors and how they happen. And that's the key thing, too, is you talk about your uh, background with uh, customs and learning about the different things. Uh, Obviously, and it shows all the way through the book here, that one of the things that you really had to educate yourself on is the minting process. And anybody who's even interested in any kind of minting errors or understanding as, as much as they can about coins needs to understand how a coin is made. Exactly. And the same with products, like, you know, with Gucci and with 
um, Louis Vuitton. Like you, you have to know how the the product. What is its origin point after you cut the fabric, after you cut the leather? When do you do the stitching? Um, what is the stitching made of? What process does one thing happen after the other? And those ways are you can easily tell uh, with just a few seconds look in some cases that something just is not genuine. And it's really no different from coins. And uh, I really got to thank two people have been really instrumental, actually three. I had a very short conversation one time online with Mike Diamond and just talking about, you know, the importance of, you know, where to start is really, you know, not only how they're made, but at what point did they start making them differently? Because obviously, you know, in, you know, 1900, they weren't minting coins the same they were in the early 1800s, nor are they made the same now. So it's not just, it's not just learning the minting process, but it's like, it's learning it. And then what were they doing at that time versus what were they doing now? And then you kind of have to go back and learn that. So I found a lot of good uh, articles, you know, just from kind of, and, and Mike kind of mentioned it in passing. We were actually writing each other about something else. And uh, that's kind of how it took off. Just, you know, you really have to understand that. Like once you do that, that's why I think for my friends who are error collectors, they're better at this because they really know or have to learn the minting process first. Whereas a lot of my friends who are, you know, standard collectors who just like Franklin halves or they like, you know, early American coppers, like a lot of them, I said, well, how did they make this? And they're not really sure. I noticed that my error friends, I hope it doesn't come off as condescending. I'm not trying to be that way. I just, just from the people that I know and in my circles, like we, we understand the value of, you know, knowing something, how it was made. And that's why a lot of us have a little bit easier time to tell, like, you know, that, well, that's altered and, and that's not, but. So yeah, the minting process is critical. There's a, obviously a lot of detective work that goes into this, and so that your attention to detail and exposure to uh, the finer points of production, maybe you are the perfect person to put this book together. I'll have to admit, you know, if somebody had said, "Hey, Mike Diamond came out with a book on error coins," I would go, "Oh, okay, cool." I, you know, Mike Diamond writes for Coin World. He's a, a well-known name. I heard your name, and I go okay, and how do I know that this is, we see some pretty amateurish stuff out there on Amazon or whatever, people trying to sell downloads and this and that. Until somebody proves themselves, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from Missouri, so show me, which, you know, incidentally, now I want that darn Missouri shell game Kennedy half dollar, but that's in the book. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I, 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 yeah. I saw that and wish, wish I had known it was up at auction earlier this year, although I'd have to find somebody to buy a kidney to afford it. But anyway, I'm skeptical. I'm, you know, we're, we're journalists. We're supposed to, until somebody proves their worth or whatever, how did you of all people, and I, and I say that with, with great love in the sense that obviously you know what you're talking about, you know what you're doing because, you know, the, the book proves it and it shows, but that might have been intimidating to somebody who, you know, had never been in the numismatic publishing space. How did you come to decide to make this book? Because it's very apparent the market needs something like this, and there's a lot of places that this information can be dissected and, and shared, you know, and, and decide that you were the person to do it. And obviously, you had some great support. Uh, Fred Weinberg is is in there as one of the um, you know contributors, and he he gave a blurb on the back. Uh, Jack Young, who we interviewed, Chris and I did early on, um, about, yeah, about that. his work with the uh, anti-counterfeiting educational foundation and, and all the eBay and other things. So long question. I'm sorry. I'm long winded, but I'm teeing it up for you there. What do you think? Um, well, part of it was, I, I there was a, a forum, uh, that I'm part of, it's called coin talk. And 
that's where I learned where I could first start posting things and contribute things because I really didn't do anything with Facebook. And I was both learning from people on there and they would publish resources. That's where I saw the great resources on like, how does the Philadelphia Mint make things versus how are they made at San Francisco? And, you know, you just, you continually and continuously learn. And a lot of it was going through Mike Diamond's site. It was going through sites like uh, John Sullivan's site to go through sales histories. It was the uh, uh, talking with, with Fred Weinberg and all all three of these people, they, you know, unless they're immediately pressed for time, they, they enjoy talking about it. That's one thing like with any business, like if I'm doing business with somebody, whether I'm getting someone, you know, to, uh, to put a floor into my house or I need a repair on my car. Like we all, we want to talk to people who are excited about, you know, the things that they enjoy doing. And people were very nice and said, well, this isn't an error. And this is where you go to check. And I went to, that's how I found like ARF.com. And I was reading a lot of stuff on there. And then Fred directed me to uh, some books, like his encyclopedia with Arnie Margolis. And I bought Arnie Margolis's book. And uh, there were a couple other books that I bought. And I said, you know what, this is great. And the thing that really helped me more than anything was to also learn how to teach myself, like was to actually like with Mike's site and talking to Mike and talking to John, instead of just asking questions all the time, I just went on sites like Heritage Auctions or PCGS and NGC and actually looked at coins. And I tried to look at them and figure out for myself, like how could this actually have happened? At what stage did this happen? And then it was just the constant back and forth of, you know, going back to coin talk and asking questions and say, well, I don't think this can happen. And that's really where I learned because the first time that Mike ever commented on something that I had, I said, you know, I'm sorry, I don't know you. Who are you? And everyone else wrote comments like they thought it was funny because I I didn't really know him all that well at the time. I I didn't know that he was such a significant contributor. And to be honest, I don't think there's anyone with a better brain on that than him. He's definitely he's definitely number one. He's at the top. So it was partly the importance of me reading the minting processes learning what happens at each process, like how the die strikes, like how that works. And some of the stuff, like the more you do it, the more you learn. I learn every day. I'm not wrong all the time. You know, I am wrong. I'm becoming wrong a little less often just from what I'm learning. And, you know, I just learned last year um, that for a lot of the dies that, you know, the obverse die is a different size than the reverse die. So that would explain, you know, if you have two obverse dies striking something, like there's a nickel, a 2,000 nickel, struck with two obverse dies that the reason why it's not a strong strike is because the dies are shorter and that would make sense that they're both weak. So it's just, it's little things like that learning how reading works and how, if it's an off center coin, it really shouldn't have reading on it. So that becomes easy for me. And then once I kind of master that, I kind of move on to something else. I studied a lot about, you know, unplated sense and how to tell if they're genuine or if they're not genuine. And those are pretty tricky even for the experts. So it's really just kind of one thing at a time. And I was just getting feedback from people on different sites. And then I started my own Facebook site and I had some, you know, some really great people that joined on good friend of mine, Steve Mills. He was one of the original contributors and writers for Aerotrends coin magazine. And he was showing me his collection and just sharing his knowledge. So um, a lot of it is knowledge sharing and people that have knowledge love to share it. Um, Like when I teach and I, I come up with something that I like to do, I like to share it. I'm always very nervous around people that don't really want to share anything or don't want to share knowledge because that's really the purpose of it is to share it. So I hope I answered your question. I I think I did. 
I, I think you did too, but I think you you also led to a very important point here too, is because the fact if you get this book, the first chapter is on page 42. And uh, this is a testament to the idea that you want to make sure that everybody gets a good understanding of what it's all about. You get into a lot of basics here that you, you don't assume that everybody has the basic knowledge. So for someone who's relatively new to the profession or new to the hobby, new to what they uh, would like to get involved with, getting an understanding, even down to the simplest uh, explanation of what the elements of the coin are, the uh, the field and the uh, and the motto and all that is yeah, it's all right here. This is all the things that you had to have before you could really start to delve into what a mint error actually is. Yeah, and and uh, I think part of your question too is um, to answer your part of your earlier question is. In terms of writing this book, like at first, I, I didn't want to write a book. Um, I, I didn't want to do that. I know people that have. I really didn't know anyone at the at the time that worked for a publishing company or had any experience or anybody that really wrote a book that was published. And I kept focusing on, I need a publisher. I need a publisher. I need a publisher. So all I did was at first, I just wanted to log what I had. That's I just wanted to log what I had. And because when I, when I log what I had, I could take it with me and I could see, okay, someone has this. I'm looking for one of these, although it's kind of hard with errors. And then I thought, you know what? Um, I'm 48. You know, I'm still in good health, but, you know, I'm not, no, I'm not going to live forever. And, you know, if something happens to me, I want my wife to know what I have so that if she ever needs to sell it, she'll understand what it is. So then I thought, okay, well, I got to write a description of what it is. And then I figured, well, some of these you can't even tell. So like, there's a lot of nickels on scent planchets that when you first look at them, they don't even look like, they don't even look like they're copper. So, okay, well, I better make an explanation. Then I, for a well, while, I better take a picture so she knows which one it is. Cause some of them are in a slab and some of the slabs are wrong. So I have to say what it really is versus what's on the slab. So then I said, well, you know, maybe I should have a comparison photo so they know what I'm talking about. So, uh, and then every time I went to a coin show in Buffalo, you know, all the dealers knew who I was and they would come up. And a lot of them would ask the same questions about the same types of errors. So I, I made a couple of printouts and I said, here, here you go. You know, this will help you out. There was a, a lady customer. I don't remember what her name was. She was visiting from Canada. She said, you know, you should really write a book. And that's, I said, you know what, maybe I should. So remember I told my wife I was working on a book and, uh, you know, she of course encouraged me too. So there's a lot of stuff I wanted to cover before I actually got to writing the actual stuff. And that's why, like you said, the first page is so late because there, there's a lot of background that people should know. I, the purpose of the book is not for people to go out and start buying coins, although I love to promote the hobby, but there's a lot you have to understand about it first. And that's why I have so much information in there before the actual, you know, before I start with the, uh, the planchet strips and the blanks and the, you know, progressively more incredible errors uh, as the book goes through. If this book does anything, it's almost as if it suggests to folks, uh, certainly at the newer end of things, not to buy a coin. And I say that again with love because, you know, you tell people all the pitfalls that are out there, the spurious listings of, you know, no S dimes or whatever the case may be on eBay and how, you know, there's a lot of folks who are out there and do not mean well. And, you know, you walk everybody who picks this book up through the sort of the pitfalls, you know, Hey, is it this, is it this, is it this, the whole thought process that 
you know, somebody as advanced as yourself must go through when you look at a coin. And, you know, I think as later on in your chapter 14 with the 21 numismatic truths, you know, you say basically don't take it at face value, you know, start questioning, is it right? Is it, does it look right? Is it the right size, weight, and all these other things? You know, you sort of put that thought process 10 years, 20 years of, of thinking about this into almost 300 pages. And it's the, the title is almost, it almost belies the breadth and depth of the work. Yeah. When people were coming up to me, they found out I was reading a book. They said, what, what errors, you know, what, what errors should I buy? What errors should I buy? And I said, well, and I said, so let, let me show you something. So before I even did the book, I had a couple coins in a slab and, and the description was wrong. In fact, I know a guy uh, in the Buffalo area here who he collects coins that are, have mislabeled slabs. And I said, you know, w- with anything, like, first of all, like being a history teacher and, you know, I, I know that you said before, you know, who is this guy? You know, we should, who, we want to find out who he is. You know, why does he think he's credible? And those are excellent questions. I'm not in the least bit insulted because I would do the same thing. With, like you said, all the pitfalls that are there, people, they, they look through these poor people, they go through rolls and rolls and rolls and rolls of coins thinking, you know, they're going to, you know, make a lot of money finding something. And I, I just, I just try to be real with them. You know, that most of the things you're going to find are either still face value or they're damaged. I can't tell you how many times at work I have students and teachers and administrators bringing me coins and they're just damaged stuff. Uh, and it's heartbreaking to tell them, but really, I, I really wanted to be real at first and show people, you know, so the warning signs, uh, like the first one of the first things I talk about is coins don't make good investments. So there's so much stuff. And like I said, I learn stuff every day on what else I need to be looking for. Or I find coins that have multiple errors on them or things that I just found a couple coins I had have really cool die clashes. And I didn't know that because I wasn't looking for that. And then when I took some HD photos, I found them. So there's a lot to learn. And again, that's why I have so much stuff at the beginning of the book first. Yeah. And I think the, the fact that there's a lot to learn, again, this sets the stage for it because there is the, the idea that everybody equates all mint errors with being valuable and or, and I'm talking about everybody that's just in the general population, or that everything is a mint error when that's not the case. There's post-mint damage and things like that. And you cover all of that in here. But I got to tell you right now. Yeah. If they're, I mean, the illustrations are fantastic. It's beautiful. I mean, you can see them much better than you could actually under a, you know, in, in, under a magnifying glass on your coins here. But I cannot turn a page until I read the coin <laughs> trivia. I simply I knew cannot. that. I knew that <laughs> it was coming. <laughs> they're little, they're little yep, Easter I eggs. Cannot. They're little Easter eggs in there. When I decided I was going to write a book. One of the things that, that I wanted to do, and it, this was the hardest part of the book, is there were a lot of things that I didn't like about other coin books. I didn't like that a lot of them are in black and white. I didn't like a lot of them that they didn't have very large photographs and they couldn't even see what they were talking about. I didn't like the font. I didn't like the, the overall size of the book. And another big problem with some of the writings is the language is so arcane and it's so esoteric that I'm spending more time trying to figure out what's being said. And I I think that can sometimes uh, turn people off. And yet, you know, I wanted the book not just for beginners, but I I didn't want to bore people, 
you know, I didn't want to bore somebody like Mike Diamond or Fred Weinberg or John Sullivan. I wanted them, you know, I'm not sure how much, you know, they might learn from my book. There's things that I know that, that some of them haven't seen before. And, and that's, that's always great that you find something. Um, it's nice that people would send me, I always tell people, if you send me a coin, I don't charge to photograph. So I have people that send me stuff all the time. I'm like, just send me money to send it back to you. I will take the HD photos and I'll send it back to you. So I've been trying to think of all these things. I'm thinking, okay, I'm 48. I'm kind of a youngin in this hobby. Most people that collect are way older than me. They're going to want to see bigger photographs. So I wanted big photographs. And unfortunately, that took up some of the room to write some text. And then I said, I want to write in simple, plain language that people can understand. And then once I reference it and explain it, um, when I bring it up again, I don't really re-explain it. I want to have different types of errors that people would find most commonly like not just a book of like super fantastic errors which by the way are great like mike byer's book is incredible and uh fred weinberg's book the 100 greatest men errors those are all great i have have nothing bad to say about them at all but i also wanted to include in mine errors that the average person might come across like an off-center quarter or a broad struck nickel or something like that or you know a, a coin with a missing clad layer so i wanted to have those things in there, not only that more people are likely to see, but they're also more likely to afford. And of course, with the writing, some of these coin books are very, very dry, whether it's errors or not. And I just wanted to put just a little, you know, kind of silly puns and goofy humor. And then on top of that, little interesting tidbits in there that will keep people interested and not just constantly being barraged about error types and explanations and details, something to sort of kind of take you away and kind of like make you tilt your head and go, huh, or something like that. That's why I added the um, the coin trivia in there, because it's, I don't know, I, I guess in writing the book, I, I kind of thought to myself, like, what would I want in a book if I'm going to read it? Does it have a little bit of humor in it? Does it have nice big photos? Can I understand it? Um, can I relate to it? Because a lot of people said, you know, what are values? So I talked to people in the book, you know, not just what a coin is valued, but that it, you know, it's what its value is, is the minute I wrote the book. Like, I don't know how many times... I've seen the same coin on heritage auctions and within a span of a couple of years, it's like thousands of dollars difference. So, and I pointed that out, I think in one of the coin trivia is about somebody paid like over a thousand dollars for a machine doubled 1969, um, what they thought was a double die. And it wasn't. There were a couple on sold on eBay, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So the coin trivia for me was probably my favorite part of the book. Other than the first thing I love is I love how detailed my photos came out and that I was self-taught. But the second thing is I really enjoy um, reading the coin trivia stuff. And a lot of people, that's the two things I, I get a lot of talk about is the trivia and the, the, the photos. And as important as the images and information about real errors, I think the winning stuff, the, the stuff that just makes this so helpful to somebody who's beginner is pointing out all of the things to look for, for things that are absolutely not errors, whether that's, you know, the, we, how many times do you see a, a coin that's, there's glue, it's, you know, it's been glued down and then the coin has been pressed against it and, right. you know, or a vice job, you know, which is where two coins are smashed against each other in a, in a homemade vice, you know, home vice. And, you know, there's, there's all these things, you know, one of the things to look for too is like, you know, in case sense are out there, but you know, people didn't know or didn't think about, Hey, you know, sometimes that encasement damages the coin. And sometimes you can pop those out of the encasement. Well, then all of a sudden you have the object removed from its context 
how do you identify that and understand that no, it's not damage that happened at the mint and and thus is worth something, but no, it's it's something that happened by external forces elsewhere, you know, and and so much of I mean, the book if only people had to read your 21 numismatic truths you know before buying something on eBay before buying or listing something on Etsy before walking into a coin show but you know before participating in a coin forum there's just so much good sense in all this and you tackle it all there is there if you if somebody picks this up and is does not understand the issue it's frankly on them it's not you know on you because you lay it out there in easy to understand language it is i just i'm blown away by the book i was initially going to do two different books and i thought well i mean a lot of people don't buy error books like i i've sold to this point i've sold um over 400 my initial run i was just going to do 50 and i figured 30 would probably be family i just had no idea i've never done this before and then um a friend of mine who was working for Eaton Park down in, in Pittsburgh was now working or no, he was working for another company for Giant Eagle supermarket. Now he works for Eaton Park. And part of his job is to is to get stuff printed like the menus and designing things like that. And he worked with a couple companies that uh, that produced books. And uh, he really his name is Mark Canan and he's an awesome guy. And he was so helpful. Even things like, you know, like on the cover where all the coins are facing each other versus facing the same way. Cause he said, you know, psychologically that might drift somebody's eyes off yep. the cover of the book. So you want them all, make sure you put them on the end. Uh, but even just stuff like that. But with the, um, the section on fake and altered stuff, that is 99% of my questions. That's 99% of the messages I get from people. That's most of the posts that people want to put on my uh, Facebook page, uh, Joe Cronin's Mint Errors Explained. It's explaining why something is damaged. And, you know, once in a while, and I bring this up in the book, once in a while, you're going to get somebody who is so adamant that, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. And I'll be honest, sometimes I've been flat wrong. You know, Mike Diamond set me, I don't want to say he set me straight, like, you know, he was mad, but he, uh, a lot of times he'll, he'll come in and just, you know, add that extra piece of why something is. Cause like I said, he just, he just has a great brain for all this stuff. And I, I enjoy every post. I enjoy every article uh, that he's ever done. But I think this section of the book, I'll tell you, one of the first things I do when I have a break during the day is I go onto eBay and I look at sold and completed listings for errors. And it's unbelievable how many of them are not errors. And I see the amount of money people have spent. And the fact that people are buying Jefferson Nichols, missing clad layers, and just like stuff that doesn't even exist. It's heartbreaking. And then on the other hand, I'm like, well, you know, this is what happens when you don't want to teach yourself and you just want to dive in and, you know, chase after profits. One of the lessons I've had to learn, you know, is when I have been excited by that greed, by that, ooh, you know, this is really cool. You know, I'm, I'm finding something great and they don't know it. You know, the biggest mistakes I've made have been when I've been motivated by greed and, and by, you know, that gotcha, you know, that, Hey, I found it. And I think that's human nature. I mean, I'm, I'm no better or worse than anyone else. Certainly no better. You're absolutely right that, you know, this is, if you don't go get this book, if you don't, even if you don't get this book, some of the others you mentioned, you know, the, you know, people who, you know, Coin World does a lot of stuff online. You know, Mike Diamond writes for us, all that. If somebody's not going to take that time 
to do the education, then, you know, I, I kind of feel like, hey, you know, the mistakes I made, that's education. That's the cost of education. Tuition in, in the hobby, if you will. Maybe we should amend your 21 truths and, and add a, a 22nd, you know, about not letting greed get in the way. But anyway, <laughs> I'll let you get back to it. Yeah, I didn't think I would sell many books. So I thought maybe one draw is going to be finally, you know, a book that has a, a large section on why things are not errors, how you can tell it was altered. This could not have possibly happened in the minting process, uh, including things like I've seen, you know, with, um, you know, damage from like uh, the, the sealers and mint packaging where, it, you know, leaves kind of like a little railroad track line. Um, and I see them like selling on eBay and, and Etsy and like some, some private sales. That's probably my favorite portion. My favorite chapter of the book is actually the, uh, the altered stuff because that's, I think that's one thing where most people are going to learn from that. Like how you can tell if something was encased, how to tell if something is a vice job how to tell if something, you know, was a genuine error that somebody altered to make it, you know, more dramatic. There's one I'm going to put on my Facebook page later about a guy who has an off-center scent, but there's a, a Lincoln scent brockage on both sides of the coin that are seemingly first strike. And like, there's no way that possibly happened. Um, so you can't have so, a brockage on both sides, right? <laughs> I, I guess there's possible and then there's likely uh, and it is highly unlikely okay. you're going to have yeah. a brockage on both brockage on both sides with the same design in the same position. Like I just yeah. I don't see yeah. that. Yeah, and happening. you do mention a lot of these mint assisted errors as they're called in the hobby, and that you know you make that delineation or notation that you know there's some folks in the hobby who eschew them. Uh, they don't want any part of them because of the sort of questionable nature of their manufacture. But at the same time, there's a very robust market for some of them. So it's great to know that they exist, whether that's the Del Monte. I mean, you get into paper money, the Del Monte $20 note or mm -hmm. the uh, the nail with a couple different nails with designs on them and screws and th you know other things. It's just such a fascinating thing. And you know, I, I admit, I readily tell anybody in the hobby that, you know, I'm not a mechanical type guy, you know, I'm not a Mr. Fix it. And, uh, you know, so the, so the minting process is sort of, it's not alien, but it's like, I want to talk about the history, right. And the story of stuff, but this was great for an idiot like myself to really dive into some of those aspects that I've not, you know, fully embraced because of, uh, of the technical or the engineering side, uh, if you will. And to me, it's important to have this book first. And uh, that way, when you encounter something that you may think is an error of some kind, a mint error, whatever the case may be, you've got a reference material here that you can simply look through and find a, a similar example. I was fortunate enough on uh, right when re I received the book, I uh, got a Lincoln cent in change of 2017 that's almost identical to the 1984 cent that's on uh, page 12 right there. And turns out, yeah, I can recognize it's a plating situation. Oh. I thought maybe post-mint damage. But, you know, here again, I've got the exact coin, basically, just a different year. Yeah, I will say that um, of all my friends that are on the expert field, the unplated cents can be some of the most difficult to authenticate. Like, First of all, you really have to have them in hand. But, but some of them, the designs are so sharp and, you know, like the color looks right and the luster is right. So 
um, like people send me photos all the time and I say, look, I really can't do these based on photos, but, uh, yeah, the unplated ones can cause a lot of my, my hardcore error collectors, a lot of fits because it's just, you need just a really good camera. Like sometimes even just a loop isn't good enough because the loop kind of limits, you know, the size of what you can see. But yeah, I definitely look at a lot of those. I was talking to Fred Weinberg on the phone a few months ago and he was saying, um, that, you know, unplated scents are a lot more rare than people think. And a lot of times like on eBay and, and stuff, like you see like, you know, the same serial numbers, different photographs taken from different people. There really aren't like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these things by any means. And uh, personally, I, I think the um, the partial plated ones are kind of a little more neat than the yeah. uh, than the full yeah. ones. Yeah, so. <laughs> totally. Totally. it's yeah. like a, a half step forward, half step back thing. You know, it's not fully there one way or the other. Uh, there's even uh, appropriately right. enough an error on the cover of the book. I mean, uh, intentional error, but the word errors in the title rotated. Uh, I love that. That is perfect, genius uh, way to communicate the message of the contents of the book. So, yeah, I mean, the amount of detail, the amount of thought that went into this, even to that level, that degree, uh, that's why I, again, wholeheartedly recommend it to everyone listening out there. And my gosh, I, j I just want to say thank you again uh, for connecting us with this and being able to, you know, I, I've participated in that Facebook group and learned uh, along with a whole bunch of other people. And um, what a great service to this great, pursuit. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, uh, when I did my second printing, I fixed a couple typos and stuff that I found. Um, so you got the, uh, the second edition. So the first one, I just had some goofy things. Like I left off the word of or something like that. The only real technical piece that, uh, that I did make an error on was the, um, the Buffalo nickel on the five cent or on the, the Buffalo nickel on the half Eagle. Um, in the book, I wrote that there are six known Indian scents on half eagles, and I meant to say quarter eagle. I don't know why I did. So if I ever do, you know, if I have a 100 more pre-sales, I'll probably fix that. But I'm looking to do a revision of the book probably in about uh, – I've already started working on it, but I'll probably wait about three or four years. According to your coin trivia, Buffalo itself is an error, right? It's supposed to be bison, even <laughs> the, the city in the area where you are right there. But uh, once again, let's uh, tell us how we can get a hold of this book, because I know that uh, there are a lot of people who are going to try to borrow mine, and that ain't happening. Same. <laughs> yeah, sure. I have it on eBay only because that's the only way people can use a credit card. But um, because of all the fees I have to pay, um, I have to charge $90 on eBay. But if they want to do it from me direct, um, they can email me at josephcronin at protonmail.com or they can send me a message through the, uh, the Facebook group, uh, Joe Cronin's Mint Errors Explained. Or my other email that some people use is jcro, so it's jcrow57 at yahoo.com. I'm phasing that one out a little bit. So josephcronin at protonmail.com would, would, would be the best. I check that uh, several times a day. And also, I think um, this coming Sunday, until Father's Day, I'm going to reduce the price ten dollars because I have I have two cases of the books left, which means I have 28 books left. So um, after that, I'm not going to print any more unless for some reason I get a pre-order of a hundred that are paid for. So the book is normally seventy-five dollars. Um, that includes tax and shipping to anywhere in the United States. Also to uh, to any airbase, I've sent books to Japan, I've sent books to the Philippines, Sweden, a couple went to Israel, 
Um, two went to South Africa. And like I said, if they're with the military at all um, on any base or they're there for any reason, I'll, I'll send it there. It's $75. But on this Sunday, from Sunday up until um, the end of Father's Day, I'm going to do $10 off just to see if I can uh, sell off the remaining 28. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for that suggestion. Definitely. Because my father-in-law would definitely like to have this. So you've already, you've made it easy on me. Great yeah. Father's Day gift. So, oh, sure. so and, yeah. and it has been uh, a gift to us to spend the time uh, talking with you today and, and learning from you. And we just appreciate that and you so much. And um, again, can't, can't say enough good things. So uh, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much. And if you ever need me back again for anything, uh, you let me know. I'd be more than happy to. And uh, I had a great time. I, I was looking forward to this for several weeks when I got the invite. So it's, it's a pleasure uh, talking with you guys. And hopefully we'll meet in person at some point as things are starting to open Absolutely. back up. Um, Love they it. just dropped the mandate here in, in New York. So, all right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. So that was Mint Errors to Die For author Joe Cronin. I uh, hope you learned something like Larry and I did and uh, we sure had fun talking to him. Now, there's a, a little bit of housekeeping that we haven't gotten to yet. And it might be appropriate to do that now, right, Larry? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, there's a couple of things, actually. If you remember last week, we were talking toward the this portion of the program regarding the 1933 St. Gaudens uh, 20 that's coming up on the auction, and you got, you're sitting on the 17 million mark, and I said I'd give you my price. And I'm going to kind of be brief about this. My, it's just there's nothing to you know back it up here. It's just a gut feeling. I'm not going to go as high as 17 anymore. I think I'm going to be in the neighborhood of 15.8 is where I'm going to be. And I don't know if I'm going to be right about that, but I do know this, by going through Joe's book that we just talked about, I learned a lot about trivia, and I feel fortified. I feel like I am kind of now, uh, you know, I, I can swell up. My chest is swelling up knowing that I have to take on the questions. We neglected the question last week inadvertently, so we got to go back two weeks to the last question you had. So do you remember what you asked me so I can answer it now? Absolutely. So we were talking about counterfeits and replicas and that sort of thing. And I, I don't know, ancient coins, I think, because of Harlan Burke. And I wanted to know, you know, there was a individual that was actually tasked with, like this was, you know, hired to do this, to make, for the lack of a better word, counterfeits for the British Museum, and, you know, the British Museum, you could go see the real thing and then you could buy a fake in the gift shop. Don said every great museum has to have a gift shop. Well, the British Museum, Don Norris, if you recall from World Coin Gallery interview a few weeks ago, the British Museum, of course, did that and did that to some effect several hundred years ago. And this series of issues, replicas, counterfeits, I think officially they are replicas, but they are because, you know, they were they were not sold as official issues. You know, they were not sold as these are authentic, but, you know, they're not like coins today that have copy on them because of the Hobby Protection Act of 1972. You know, they certainly can fool the unsuspecting eye, but there's a class of these objects. They're named for somebody. So what is that name? What are these pieces called? Blank counterfeits. Do you have any idea? 
Boy, I don't know. I mean, you said a couple hundred years ago, so I'm just going to go back into time and think who would be a scoundrel who could do something like this. And on my list of scoundrels, I come away with it's probably so far off base it's not even funny, but I'll go with Charles Dickens. So it's funny you mentioned Dickens as a scoundrel because Dickens was actually employed at the Mint. He was master of the Royal Mint for a time like 25, 30 years. And it was his development, his idea to add edge lines, mills, you know, to mill coins, you know, have an ed, a milled edge to thwart against people shaving the edges to reclaim some of the silver and thus pass coins off with lower value than, than their real value. So he is the exact opposite of somebody who would make counterfeits for the British Museum. And this particular grouping came a little bit later. These are known as Becker counterfeits. And I believe it's Charles Becker. Uh, I have the book in the other room, Becker counterfeits, uh, Becker the counterfeiter. That's what it is. And we've written about it. You can find stories on coinworld.com about these pieces a couple different times written when they've come up at auction and, you know, written about ancient coins that are fake that, you know, have a strong collector base because we're so far removed time-wise from their issue and there's a context around them. We know why they were issued. So they're actively collected and, and they're treated as a collectible object because of their nature, uh, manufacture, and why and when they were produced. Whereas if you or I tried to do that today... Uh, they probably would not be met with that reaction. You know, it would it would be a very different reaction, I think. So it's amazing what time can do. You know, we, we're 2,000 years removed from some bad hombres in Roman times, and we talk about them casually as if, you know, they were just sitting next to us. Uh, and then bad hombres, bad guys of more modern times, you know, have such that negative connotation, and deservedly so, but it's easy to divorce that uh, reputation from the context because of the distance of time. So Becker counterfeiters are, is the answer I was looking for. Like Drew Carey would say, everything's made up and the points don't matter. <laughs> uh, so no harm, no foul. You tried, but Dickens is absolutely the wrong answer. Now I want to talk about, we're keeping it in the named for somebody else thing. Clipped planchets. Uh, Joe Cronin gets into this in the book, page 169. Nice little explanation. You can have a complete blank, a curved clip, a straight clip. Many clipped planchet coins, coins that are struck on clipped planchets, exhibit an effect and is named for somebody. And I've not actually in my research been able to figure out this person's first name, but we know the last name. So what is this effect? We don't, we're not going to get into the whys and hows and what it is and all that. You really ought to get the book to get an understanding of all these many topics. But what is the name of the effect that is often but not always exhibited on coins with clipped planchets? And this scientific truism is one of the ways you can tell that you have an authentic clipped planchet piece. It's not the only tell. It's not, you know, there are things that are legitimate that don't adhere to this, you know, marker that don't check this box, but 
if it checks the box, it usually is. So we're looking for somebody's last name. What is it? You have a week now to think about that, maybe do research, and you out there in podcast land, this is, I would say this is a moderate level. It's not expert. It's not basic. It's in the moderate level. Uh, you'd have to really be tuned into errors and, and whatnot to maybe have heard this. So uh, think about it. You have till next week. And, uh, you know, until then. Happy collecting. Thank you for listening to the Coin World Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. Would you like to sponsor the Coin World podcast? If so, contact your Coin World sales representative or email Brian Hertel at b h e r t e l at amosmedia.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Affordable rates and multi-episode discounts are available. Contact us today to sponsor the Coin World podcast.